Welcome to today's episode of Let's Talk Robotics. I'm your host, Nikki, CEO and founder of Exaptech. We're a robotics company specializing in telepresence, social and educational robots, such as the Temi and the QT robot. Today, we have a superstar on the show. Corey Stewart is the CEO to the RAM Advanced Robotics for Manufacturing Hub up in Queensland, otherwise just known as ARM Hub. This is an agile technology center in robotics and design-led manufacturing. Corey, welcome and thanks very much for joining me today. Oh, thank you for having me. So, Corey, you've had a very distinguished career up until your appointments as the CEO of the ARM. Can you tell us a little bit about your journey? Oh, well, thanks, Evie. Well, yeah, so I think um, my journey is, a, is probably a journey, as a journey sort of person. I've really cut my teeth in um, innovation policy. Um, that's probably where I, I really hit my strides in my career, where working for different sort of governments and politicians and then into universities. And I kind of, you get a good idea of the systems um, and you get a good idea of what might make something work. And you also get very disappointed when you see things not get up and they're incredibly valuable. Um, so um, what, what I think I've come to in this part is as working in innovation is going from the making of the ideas into the doing of the ideas. So, um, but I really did cut my teeth on that, that policy um, environment uh, early on. Um, but I did go into the university at different times. I think particularly maybe women move their careers around at different times um, and, and research has um, been important to me. So I've been in and out of the university. Um, uh, where I, again, looked at innovation policy, but I had a real focus on the creative industries and the design area at that time. And actually, at, as of this point, I'm still uh, connected to the QUT um, design school. Um, so uh, the, the combining, I suppose, of robotics and design, as, as you read out the title of the Arm Hub, is sort of um, part of the journey in itself. Um, when we start to think about manufacturing, um, it really is a whole bringing together a whole lot of sectors. Um, so uh, the design probably is the, the thread through a lot of these as time has gone on. And so um, innovation policy, creative industries policy around design, and now a lot more into STEM and, and robotics because that's where the industry demands it to be. So yeah, that's, that's how I got there. Mm. So actually being the CEO of the ARM hub is actually like really good connection if you're still involved with the QUT because the industry and the academic um, education sector, that's that's really an important connection. Yes, and really what, what was happening is that a lot of the industry was, you know, seeking the, the technology that sit in universities and research centres broadly and, the, um, and not getting that commercial value into their businesses. And there's a whole range of reasons for that. Um, and what, what I really wanted to see happen in the Yamaha, I really wanted to make that happen. So we've got the best uh, research and technology in the world, and that's really well known. We're really good at it, but we don't have that depth of industry and to absorb it. Um, but yet we have industry that needs it so badly for manufacturing and you know, improvement across a lot of industries. So um, really bringing that out. So, um, we needed all of our research institutions engaged. So the, uh, the Arm Hub, um, really, QUT has been one of the founding partners, but alongside CSIRO and, and co-location, the commercial company for UAP. But we now work with and have, you know, formal um, financial partnerships with UQ and USQ, other and a network of national universities. So we're really about bringing the best teams together to solve 
manufacturing challenges as they come to bear, and mostly for small to medium enterprises, because they're the ones who, you know, are 95% or more of the industry sector, and even that, you know, smaller companies. So you have to be able to sort of be a bit more agile than those university sectors really accommodate. So the arm hubs out there um, as a smaller organisation with the tools ready to kind of get involved early, get those early wins and, and take industry on that longer term R&D journey. Yeah. So talking about your um, career, mm. um, I always like to touch on challenges and how you handle yeah. them because inevitably we all have challenges. Yes. Yeah, no, look, I, I always like that question too because you um, that's what other people really need to understand that no career is ever straightforward um, and life's never straightforward. So I probably touched on it a little bit earlier too. Um, so I, I have, if there was a thread, it was really innovation policy up until running the Arm Hub. And um, I think part of the reason why there was a lot of movement across is um, there's definitely a ceiling in, in a kind of career around um, policy uh, and innovation in Queensland and in Australia because um, there's not a lot of industry. So the scale of what you can think about and how you can operate and what you need to do has kind of some inherent limitations. Um, yes, you need to be more imaginative to make it happen, but there's just not that scale of money and investment. Um, but I think the other um, area is it's a busy field and it's been dominated by certain practices for such a long time. And if you're not, you know, if you're perhaps not the male leader in that area, certainly when I was building my career, I, I just had an inbuilt understanding that, um, you know, my job would, I would have to move around and I would have to find my own opportunity. I'm never going to, I'm naturally going to get tapped on the shoulder and say, hey, how about you just step on up and take this um, career by the horns and, and succeed. So part of the journeying um, has been because that's the way to sort of grow professionally. Otherwise, you can't really do new things. Um, and then, of course, you know, I'm a woman who has a family. So there was a time um, when I was doing more policy advisor in government. And you just cannot do that um, unless you're you know, available 24-7. So, you know, making sure I could shift into a career that I could um, work successfully in over that time too was important. You know, touching on family, this is a continual juggle that, um, that we have. And I think um, certainly with COVID, I was reading a paper yesterday that women have been hit very hard um during COVID because they we we still the primary caregivers in Australia I don't think that's that's changed and um you know most women have got contracts or just um you know they work part-time and and they've just been knocked sideways and um I, I I think um I was on a it was sort of mentioned that COVID's put the the strides that women have made in STEM fields back by 50 years, which is just absolutely, it just scares me when figures like that or like years like that are, are thrown around. Oh, it is, it is absolutely no doubt. Um, um, from, you know, my own personal experience and my, you know, my peers, I've still got kids that are reasonably young. Um, if you're at home and you're working from home and your children at home, um, unless they're perhaps near adults, you are, you are a provider um, and, and typically a first point of call, I mean, maybe it's your husband, but most often it is It is women who we know statistically really do do a lot of that heavy lifting. Um, and they do all the social work that goes around with um, families as well. And when there's the stress and there's health, yeah, it is going to be um, a huge backlog. And manufacturing is a bit like robotics, which is a bit like STEM. It's a male dominated industry traditionally. Um, so, you know, I think that, that there's probably 
a lot of work to be done to, to make sure the other half of the population can contribute to this industry and it needs that kind of capability and, and um, quantum of talent to come into it. But things like COVID set us back, uh, cultures that aren't you know, yet set up to accommodate a whole range of diversity set us back, like we have to build that. Um, and I, I'm thankful that the Arm Hub does do that. Like we're a very diverse all round organisation, but we're quite rare in that wider landscape of manufacturing. So talking about the Arm Hub, what mm. does it do? How does it work? And um, mm. like when you took the job, is this what you thought it was going to be? <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I really, uh, it was really important to me when I took this job, I, I, I really understood from policy and, and a kind of industry driver that if we do not transform industry, we will not have the industries of the future. Like we just will not, we will not have, we'll be relegated to a low service economy. Um, we need to get advanced manufacturing. This is even pre-COVID. Um, the, the drivers were in place globally for this to happen and it was a competition and a race was on. So I was racing and we, you know, all the people who contributed to the large bid in getting the arm up felt that urgency. Um, and, you know, it, it is what we intended, but it's also much more. <laughs> um, uh, I think we didn't anticipate, I suppose, how difficult it is to stretch across regions and the nation um, and um, to have all the conversations that need to happen when you're starting to um, make these changes. COVID both accelerated the acceptance of manufacturing and, and robotics because, you know, it was a household issue you know you can't get your toilet paper or someone needs to automate something you know great it's it's public but we know industry at the same time globally you know adopted fewer robots um systems all slowed down um so and it's got a sort of two speed happening in the company which i, I don't think i anticipated you can engage industry get projects going those projects happen really slowly <laughs> um and uh uh, and often that's because of the COVID kind of environment that we're in. Um, but then the engagement, the need for information, um, networking, uh, like some design sprints, prototyping, it's just, it's constant and it's ongoing and really drawing on a wider range of skills. So we thought we were going to be mostly just about robotics, the robotics bit of manufacturing. But um, of course, to, if you need robotics, you probably need new materials. You might need nuclear medicine and robotics. You know, so we. We've had, we, we draw in a lot more scientific capability, um, I guess, than we first thought. So it's it's robots plus at the arm hub for sure. So how do you use and create robots there? Sorry, what was that? I said, how do you use and create robots? Oh, yeah, so we, we, I guess, most obviously use um, industrial robots. So, and, and most obviously with industrial robots, a lot of them are imported and we're building the smart systems around them or applying them in context. But also um, for unique offerings, we're building robots, you know, in kind of field context, you might be building a robot. Um, and as you know, robots are many, many things. Um, so I think what's fascinating is how we're building new robotic um, products for things like the construction industry or, um, the marine industry uh, so for construction it might be a crane that now is really operated like a robot really functions like a robot it is a robot um, so creating these new new technologies and taking them to market with with industry um, so that's that's quite exciting so this combination between robotics and sort of a deep tech approach and new products 
but also then modernising existing manufacturing, which is more like, um, uh, I guess, what we understand as the typical robotic systems, if we think about automation industry or something, yeah. um, but making them smarter, more effective and more being able to mass customise as people looking for, you know, um, unique or personalised outcomes. So uh, finding those solutions. Mm. So has the drive for to be a sovereign nation in our industries, especially manufacturing, um, shaped how you see the world? Oh, this has been, it is the question, isn't it, sovereignty, because um, every country now is seeking to automate and um, build their manufacturing ecosystem, um, building sovereign capability uh, with it. Uh, we're not alone and we are doing and we need to do it to do that. Um, but Australia's only got such, uh, you know, a smaller comparative population that uh, we are always going to be a trading nation. So we not only need to build sovereign capability, what we build has to be um, exportable, our, our biggest trading effort. So um, this, this sovereign um, demand has really shaped investment so far, since, particularly since COVID, because we, we know that the federal government really only brought about a manufacturing strategy in the advent of COVID. Um, and whilst it is entirely dwarfed by international investments, it's probably in Australian context of 1.5 billion was uh, reasonably um, sizable. So that's still, still playing out. But one thing I think is entirely missed in the conversation at this stage around uh, our policies in manufacturing and, and sovereignty is people. Mm. So um, our borders are closed down. We're not getting the talent across our industries. Um, we, we are investing in commercial ventures that will have, be successful, but we're not investing in the people who will build those industries in the future, and we're not thinking about it. So uh, I think there's an urgent call you know, out to yeah. um, decision makers to say it is all um, uh, laudable that you are investing in the commercial drivers that build jobs, et cetera, but you're actually building the potentially only one set of the jobs. Um, yeah. that are needed and they may not be the high-tech skill jobs they might be the applied jobs that an industry needs broadly so um, where is that technology capability coming from where are all your STEM graduates like the um, disjuncture between we have a skills crisis and we have people graduating all the time who aren't going into jobs this this is entirely solvable by investing in the new skills future yeah. not just the new industry features um, so that is a big gap in our sovereign thinking you know i read an article uh, this morning of a um, face mask manufacturer just outside of melbourne here mm -hmm. and you know talk about sovereign capability like they, their production went from something like 10 million masks up to 60 million like in a blink of an eye but of course now that we've got access to face masks from overseas again they've now been they've done this major investment where they've got extra machines to do the production but because of pricing um it's offshore again and i think this is something that we're always going to struggle with in australia is that the sheer um, scale that we do things, we may have to pay a little bit more for stuff that we get there. Otherwise, people are going to go the route before COVID and they're offshoring again and bringing stuff in. Yeah, so I, I think you're absolutely right. This is always going to be a juggle, but what I love about this um, fairly urgent injection of funding, say, into this company that's building masks, um, it probably did fill up 
and employ a whole bunch of people who now have what we call manufacturing skills. Yeah. And those skills can be quite generalised. You know, um, that that cohort of staff and maybe even that company can go on now with the skills and the capability they've got, maybe not machinery, but maybe the machinery too, yeah. um, to go on and make the next thing in manufacturing. Because, I mean, it was only, um, what, 30 years ago that Australia was around 30% um, GDP and manufacturing and it keeps dropping. I think yesterday I only heard it's down to 6%. That's an all-time low, um, even though we're doing these major investments, um, which means we just we don't yet have the workforce that can actually do a lot of the manufacturing, the smart, intelligent manufacturing that we need to do to be competitive. So I like that this injection probably went into skilling up a whole bunch of people who can go, okay, well, I did make masks and I do understand these systems. I do understand the materials. I can now go and get a job and I can work in plastics or new materials and, and I can continue on in these industries and associated industries. That's got to be a good thing. Yeah. So what do you see your role as the arm hub um, for skilled workers and how to facilitate this challenge in, in Australia? Yeah, the arm hub, oh, clearly we have a lot of links to the university sector and, and trying to bring through all that capability and put them in, in industry and embed them in industry on all of our programs. And, and hopefully, that, that, and we are seeing that um, transfer of um, graduates and students and even sometimes lecturers into uh, appointments in companies. So that, that's all good, but it's definitely only one part of the puzzle. Um, because the skills gap is so enormous and it can be one of those sort of terrifying things to look at, like will Australia ever get there? Um, it, it's going to take an enormous suite across TAFE. It's going to take all this university focus. It, it's going to take um, in-work skilling yeah. um, and upskilling. But what we want to do and what the Arm Hub does when it does work, we kind of build innovation projects and we embed them in the company most of the time, if it's possible, that's how it happens. And through that process, we always have a conscious um, structure where we're upskilling the staff because they're the experts. Yeah. They know what they're doing. They're just getting new tools and new processes in which to do it. So they get new careers. So what you don't want to have happen is have whole companies fail because they can't get that adoptional skill level up in the workforce. And then you have to build new companies and you know, you've, you've, you've lost in whole employment cycles and um, for people and, and they're people with real homes, real families, yeah. real needs. Yeah. So that's something that Australia and everywhere is looking at very seriously. But in Australia, we just really need to scale that up and, and take it very seriously about in-house in um, skills development programs to adopt these new technologies and not to be afraid of them. Think of them as tools. Don't think of them as, you know, the robot's taking my job, which is we know because we work in the industry, it's the opposite. We're, robots are always creating jobs because they're yeah. making them more dexterous, they're fulfilling a need, um, and we're part of the modern workforce. But um, to a lot of people working in the industries who haven't adopted this advanced technology, you know, like there's still the fear factor. So we get in really early and uh, position the, the workers as the expert because they are, yeah. and this process as the training and the tools to help. So. Uh, anywhere we can get that message out and, and make it really clear um, is good. So we, a lot of the companies we work with, for every piece of robotic machinery they employ, it's usually between three and six jobs they're putting on yep. because they're just more competitive mm -hmm. and their productivity goes up. Yeah. Um, so that's it. 
it sounds it's a bit like a given that if you put a woman on a board then your profit rises up by um they stats around it so if it's if you've only got one or two women in senior management positions in company goes up by 19 percent. but if you sort of get it to the nearly 40 50 percent it goes up nearly 50 percent your profitability so it's the same thing with robotics so we think this should just happen in australia now oh imagine <laughs> if you also got women in the workforce and on the boards and you've got robots. I mean, we're starting to like, you know, run out Just <laughs> <laughs> think where we could be. <laughs> so Corey, um, Arm Hub is based in Brisbane. Do you, mm. do you do work nationally? I mean, like it just seems like such an enormous task of work that you've got ahead of you and that you're doing. Yeah, we do. And um, we have partners in industry that we're delivering for nationally. Um, but we're using a whole range of um, networks to do that. So um, the obvious networks we use are our um, university partner networks. So we've got um, embedded projects and companies that then can nestle into our partners like at U you know, UTS and Swinburne and UNSW and RMIT. Yeah. Um, but then also um, teams that can actually um, be built around capability that's localised. Um, in addition to sort of more a little bit sometimes some fly and fly out capability at times that you know the arm hub can inject um, but we are also looking at a whole range of node arm hub nodes on the horizon so a bit of watch this space um, uh, that allow us to do a bit more national delivery um, uh, in a kind of more commercial setting yeah that's excellent it's fabulous I, I'm always inspired when I hear um, industry people speak about collaboration with universities because it's so essential and then I speak to a lot of people um, you know professors and things in university and the um, attitude on collaboration with each other which is essential like there's no ways you can do this in isolation and this is this is stuff we like again from a policy perspective you know that's my touch point we, we know like because all of the hard research over the world has been done if you can't build these um, university collaborations you just can't get ahead um, but that's not to say it's easy or it's been easy or it's been done really well in the past like there's all the different drivers um, mm. I think Australia is getting better at it um, but it certainly wasn't good enough when we went out and worked with the industry and particularly small companies they did not necessarily see the value of going into a university to ask for this help because they couldn't figure out how to get it out or they couldn't get it out in the business understanding way yeah. that they could actually adopt it. So that's the kind of, that is the juncture we play as well. Um, because in the Arm Hub, yeah, we, we use a lot of the research capability, but we build commercial teams around it, like the engineers, the designers, the project managers, we have our own facilities. So basically anything that's going to make it happen. <laughs> yeah, listen, I mean, I, I think it's such an exciting space to be in because you can actually see as the seeds start growing with work that you've done and the collaboration starts paying off that you go, look look how this is all integrating and everyone's benefiting from it. And yeah, and the, the great thing that I think we can see now, because the Arm Hub's about a year and three or four months old, and that track record is coming through where we're seeing, oh, the same robotics and AI process and machine learning process was required for industrial, large-scale industrial robotics as it was required to make heart stents, you know, um, very fine medical stents. So these platform technologies, um, particularly AI robotics, Internet of Things, is applicable across industries and we can actually um, build collaboration across those sectors. We're terribly siloed. 
but when we're the arm hub because we deal in those those areas across because we can build on the shoulders of others um, yeah. we're starting to see that transfer across so that's quite exciting too because you don't want to make a robot in the system just for just for one client you want to be able to say how does that adopt and adapt into into new environments yeah, definitely. I agree with you. <laughs> yeah, it's it's you've touched on a point of the silos that we that we all do still work in a little bit. I mean, you know, the Robotics Australia roadmap sort of highlighted that the 2018 mm -hmm. edition, like high, high siloed roboticists in Australia are actually, and you know, um, and the 2020 edition. And when I spoke to Sue and I said to her, look, I think I'm thinking of doing this, and it was it was actually directly from the 2018 edition that I went, look. I think we need to introduce all our roboticists and what the robotics community in Australia are doing. I mean, I know they're fabulous people out overseas and I get contacted by them to be on the podcast, but I have to um, very gracefully say, I'm sorry, like I, I'm only focusing on the Australians. When I run out of the Australians, I'll contact you. But, yeah. you know, it's very important that... Um, again like I say like it's a very small community and people need to collaborate and work together yeah look it is essential I just can't it's it's frustrating when a collaboration doesn't happen and I just keep going I'm going to make it happen it's going to have to happen there's nothing in it for anybody if we can't collaborate and I think where we start to see this the most is like when there are, when we put out an engineering job and when the universities put up you know new roles there are heaps of people who are available and have got the capability to work yeah. in the industry. There's hundreds and hundreds here now ready to do this. Yeah. We just need to create the economic wealth and capability in our industry to absorb it and willingly absorb it. So I, I never play to the line that, you know, there's not enough um, skills here or there's not enough capability to, to bring into these industries yet. It's just putting it together. So... Following on from that, what would you say is the number one importance for securing a high value economy in Australia through robotics and manufacturing? Um, building the talent and employing the talent. Mm. Yeah, because I, I, if we don't reward, like we're at the moment in a way where it's good, we're rewarding industry for existing here. We're paying companies to come and locate in Australia. We're paying companies to grow supply chains, but we're not incentivizing, employing our smart future technology and science capabilities, like our STEM capability, that's going to be the thing that uplifts us and makes us not only relevant nationally, international leaders in these spaces. Every, to exist in Australia, I think as an industry, you have to be a, a technology leader. You can't exist if you're not in a, in a competitive environment. So we need incentives that say to all of these um, talented STEM graduates, come and work in robotics. In our case, really come and see what you can do in manufacturing and robotics. Um, there's heaps to be done. Um, there's a future for you here and what mechanisms that actually say that's really valuable are missing, but that's what I think is most important at this time. Yeah. Look, I mean, are, are um, graduates, only 36% of graduates in STEM today are women. I mean, that that's obviously something that... Um, I think could be high and could be better. And I think a lot of effort across a lot of um, organizations, or they're putting a lot of effort to change this. And I, I, I've thought about this a lot and I listened to a lot of conversations about it. And, um, you know, you mentioned you've got children and I, I wonder whether at ground level, you know, when we send our kids to school, 
these conversations at, at home, you know, you make tea, no, that's a girl's job, that's a boy's job. I think all parents need a re-education of it's a skilled job. You know, you look at your kids and you go, this is a skill. It doesn't actually matter what it is. So whether you're a boy or a girl, you must be able to mow a lawn. It's a skill. That's all. And, and with the skill sets that we instill in kids from a very young age, you know, little kids, like this is a skill to make your bed. This is a skill. Like you're just going to be the skilled, competent person. Mm -hmm. And from that grows their confidence. And then you've got people that when they've got confidence, they believe they can do things. And mm -hmm. then nothing becomes an issue of, you know, oh, that's a boy's territory or that's a girl's territory. It, it's irrelevant. It's a human being's territory. And whether I'm a male nurse or a female truck driver, it's, it's irrelevant. It's a skill. Yeah. And I, <laughs> it's absolutely the case that um, it, it is a skill and, and that it's still a thing that, you know, women want to become roboticists. Well, and I think the Arm Hub seems to have attracted quite organically um, mostly women. And uh, it took me a while to figure out, honestly, I'll be, I'll be honest, I was like, why aren't the men applying as much as the women? What is it? You know, is there something about this sort of intermediary space or is there something about because it's led by a woman and there's so many women in the man? Like it's, uh, and I, I do think actually they were just saying that, you know, if another woman can be part of this organisation and be part of its leadership, um, it's not just me, there's others. Yeah. Um, well, then there's a place for me. Mm. You know, I, I might be able to find my place in amongst, I guess, because they're still fairly rare in the wider world, um, yeah. particularly in the research world um, and the training space. Um, but there are a lot of um, women who work here in, as roboticists. Yeah. Um, or work on projects that through the arm hub as roboticists. And I think it's just that they see um, that women are, um, can can operate in the space and they just prioritise them working in that space. Yeah, I look at that Joe Burston saying of what you what you can't see, you can't be. You you need an example out there. You you need someone that you can go, well, if they can do it, I can do it as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So talking about COVID, Corey, what do you think the impacts had on our robotic industry here? Yeah, I was just reading uh, in globally, um, the International Federation of Robotics has said it's, it's down a few, few percent um, globally. And I guess that's, that's not surprising because everything's down. Maybe that's actually a sign of it not doing too bad overall. Yeah. Um, I would say uh, robotics, um, just from the day-to-day, -day, my day-to-day engagement with, with lots of companies, it's probably the first time many of them have thought that they really need to automate. So I think it definitely is bringing it at a point where a company's not just having an internal conversation about what they could do, they're actually seeking out how they could do it and trying to solve some of the, the, the challenge of um, taking new information and that automation into their companies, um, particularly the smaller ones. So I think it definitely has brought the conversation right to the fore. Have I, do I think it's um, implemented yet? No, on a whole? No, I don't think that we're seeing like a mass uptake yet. We're just, we're seeing it... Um, become a real business case that most companies are seriously looking at um, at the SME level. I think the large companies are all across it um, yeah. and, and they're making their own you know, decisions as they, as they need to. Um, but COVID has certainly made that idea about being remote from many things um, important. Um, it used to be when I heard those conversations about was more about medical and being sterilised and being removed. Now we're seeing that in all sorts of fields like um, you know, quality assurance for food and beverage, 
like sort of meat packing, for example, you know, not, there's now no one in those, uh, in many of those facilities, it's all automated. Um, and, you know, right from using AR and VR and scanning technology. So you, there's no one doing walkthrough quality assurance. There's no one, you know, inspecting things anymore. That's all done through automation and intelligent systems behind it. There's people there making yeah. sure that happens and there's people making this great technology. Um, so I think it definitely has brought it forward into a, a business everyday conversation. I really think that's quite positively about how that will go um, in the next six months to a year for most companies. I think we'll be seeing a, um, a consistent uptake. Yeah, I think you. I think you completely. I think robotics has had such a push into that. We probably gained five years just in the yeah. sheer. Um, just profile that what's available out there. Um, you know, I speak from a telepresence space that, mm -hmm. you know, I've got companies contact me and going, they didn't know this stuff exists. I've been, and then I say, well, I've been here for six and a half years. <laughs> like, I don't know what part you've missed in my marketing, clearly something, but but it has, it's really highlighted it. That, um, so, you know, with every dark cloud, there's always a silver lining and that's for robotics that it has thrusted into the forefront. And I believe, um, you know, it doesn't seem as COVID's going to be, you know, over in any short time in any stretch of anyone's imagination. Like I think with the new Delta variant, like it's, you know, this is just going to be ongoing for us that we're dealing and the traditional way of working of everyone going to an office for nine to five, I think that's honestly, it's gone. I don't think it's ever coming back. No, I must admit, the, the, um, at the arm up here, we have our own facility in our learning factory. And I, a little bit of it's been great for me because I feel like I can still, because I physically have to be present for that, that those processes, at least we still have that, we, we do come together. Yeah. Um, and I, I think that's more nostalgia on my behalf of being able to like easily, you know, hop off the Zoom, but now it's a mixed world at least. Um, and it's totally acceptable to be working anywhere. Um, so yeah, I think digitally, I think the world's been entirely transformed. Um, hopefully, you know, robots is part of that, that picture. Uh, yeah. And it will continue. Yeah. I think I look, I think I believe it will because I think everyone that's uptaken it, the early adopters, they see profits that they couldn't have it, you know, as you say, the robotics actually creates work. You you may it may take away from something you would have traditionally done, but you can be upskilled in something else and and off you go. Like people have to maintain it, they have to put information in there, all sorts of other parts to it. Yeah, and once we have all these use cases that are people like, oh, if, you know, so-and-so down the road or that person in Victoria, my industry does it, there's a bit of, you know, um, business pressure to, to automate, but there's also like, if they can do it, I can do it. It's usually not that complicated. And of course, with the pricing of robotics going down, um, the data science and capability of these, the robots and systems going up, um, it's just, there's going to be a future where if you're not doing it, you're not competing. Yeah, you're losing out. So. Yeah. Now, speaking of women at the Arm Hub, now, what do you think um, the STEM, the STEM rate and women in Australia? What What do you think of the work that we're doing? What else do you think we could be doing to attract more women? Yeah, no, it's it, it is a strict, uh, a tricky problem. I think I think yeah. I admire um, 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 endeavors like. Um, Suki's done a lot of work in this space yeah. and bringing kind of a global perspective to, to women in, in STEM, which is great. I also think we've got an opportunity to bring women who haven't worked in STEM into STEM industries. Now, I, I personally would be an example of that. Um, and I know a lot of people like me, I might not be, you know, day to day, I'm not, I'm not um, the roboticist, 
but I am working with and for STEM industries. And there are quite a few people in the technology innovation space who can do that. And But I think you can, you can do transfer of skills into technology too. So seeing those opportunities is just not something that you get when you're from your you know, 12 till 22, when you finish your sort of formal training, um, it, we need to train and think about everybody being able to work in STEM and effectively in STEM. It's kind of what we're doing when we go into companies. So a lot of the companies might be, um, you know, blue collar workers doing their work. Um, all of a sudden they're using new tools, which makes them actually STEM enabled and STEM capable. Um, they're managing and programming robots, they're managing digital systems, they're doing basic data science, they're kind of monitoring. This is all about building a diverse capability set in STEM. And I think what's discouraging for me sometimes as a woman who's come through different um, cultures is that sometimes I see in the STEM space that there's always, a, you've got to be right or you've got to be wrong. And it's not, and I think sometimes that's um, not really productive because there's lots of ways of doing STEM. It's actually a very creative business. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you yes. know? And I think um, exploring those for, for, for women as they go you know, from their early ages right through um, their careers is always an opportunity to bring really capable women into STEM. Yeah, I agree with you. So... I, I always imagine that you need a mentor for all of these. And I always ask everyone, have you yeah. got a mentor? Um, like, do you, yeah. like, do you still use a mentor through your career? Tell me. Oh, no, I, I, I definitely, I would say I have mentors, definitely, but I don't call them that anymore. Yeah. And it's, you know, um, and they, they, um, they come and go a bit more regularly. So in, in a, that people are happy to come into your life because you've asked them for something or they see that they might just see that you need it. And it's that trusted advisor, the, the people who can tell you, you know, that's not working and what you need to do this. And then you're happy to listen to them and work with it. And I, I definitely have a, um, I have one at the moment, particularly around um, managing essentially a startup um, and all the business processes that are required uh, <laughs> that are some that are new to me. Um, that that has been invaluable. Remain, which meant that I can still do what I know I'm I'm good at and have the skills coming in, but all these new skills can actually be picked up without completely swamping um, the effort. So yeah, that was definitely the key angels I like to think of them behind the scenes. Um, but early on in my career, I actually did formal mentoring um, in you know innovation policy and urban development policy, all the different kind of innovation policy settings I was in. Um, and that was important because then I felt like I belonged. Yeah. Because I was the mentee at that stage of so-and-so and so-and-so. And, so, um, and therefore I belonged to this organization for the time I was there. And I think I think that's actually the only reason why I felt that I cut my teeth in that space because I belonged in that space. Yeah. Um, and I think sometimes it's that's what um, mentoring can really bring for people at different times, just say, hey value you you belong here yeah on these things together i couldn't agree with you more and it's um i you know when i look at um i look at anyone and all these companies i i always think i hope you've got a strong mentoring pro, um like program for onboarding new people into your company i don't think they have but i, I look at it and i think this is something that they're lacking because once you've got someone that takes you under your wing in a new place 
and they give you the run of how things work. As you say, you belong. As soon yeah. as you feel you belong, then everything changes. Well, that's right. And you just get the absolute, people can run. They've got permission to, to run. I said, certainly in a very small organisation now, because I've been part of very big systems for, for most of my career. It's, um, you know, I need everyone to feel like they, they can run and um, not, you know, they all need to be able to be experts in their job and go out and do it. And um, that, I need people to have that permission. And that's about belonging and wanting to do it and um, knowing that there's going to be troubles, but they're not on their own. Like, go out um, and do it. And get, when you get stuck, come and- Find me, find me, I'm here. Yeah, we're here. Yeah. You sound like a mother. Well, in that case, <laughs> that's of course. It's a good leader. That's what you do. Mothers are good leaders. That's what we are. We we're setting the example yeah. for what we want our children to do. Corey, any closing thoughts that you'd like to leave our, our audience with? Oh, look, it's always a thing that I'd like the opportunity to say. Collaboration is so important. Um, Companies like Yarm Hub have actually been invested in to, to help with that collaboration as a trusted innovation provider. So it's not we're not it's not we're not selling a particular thing. We're here to assess and help and accelerate that capability in the industry. So whether you're in industry or you're in research or you you have um, something you're trying to achieve with robotics or you know we're here to connect, help. We can do things on the ground, but you should collaborate with whoever you can. If it's not us, others. Um, because it's the only way to go faster. Um, so that, that's, that's really where my day-to-day -day message sits at this point. <laughs> Listen, thank you so much. I think you provide an invaluable service and link to all sorts of ecosystems in Australia. And I hope your initiative of having little hubs all over the place, I'm, I'm sitting <laughs> on the edge of my seat to hear what you're going to do. And um, yeah, I just wish you the very best of success and, and um well, Lee. if anyone wants to reach you, is it okay if I put your email address in the show notes? Yeah, absolutely. The Arm Hub's out there. We're here to be contacted. So, um, and wherever you are in Australia, that's fine. We're very interested in hearing from you. So email, um, website, you can get through us um, in, very, in multiple ways, social media. Fabulous. So our audience, you've got the invitation from Corey. Don't let it go by. Contact her and give her some questions. Corey, thanks so much for your time. I really appreciate it. And um, to our audience and listeners, join me next week for another episode of Let's Talk Robotics. Mm -hmm.